by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything, sometimes we get messy, and it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm an artist sometimes, it is what it is. This week I'm a U.S. Postal Service Efficiency and Logistics Officer, a White House informant, and I also do night gigs as a lounge singer at the Blue Chicken down the street. Two drink minimum. (laughs) I'm Maximiliano a.k.a. Maxie After Midnight. Um, for those of you sitting at home wondering how to support Nat Turner Project, here's how you can do it. Um, we have a Patreon page with exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall, so we get extra messy. Um, we have an Etsy store where you can buy our stuff, tons of merch, publications, totes, buttons. Um Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow our podcast, um, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, at Nat Turner Project. Email us at natturnerprojectzero at gmail.com. We'll take questions, comments, um, potentially read them on our podcast. So yeah, let us know what you're thinking and we'll see what's up. All right. So this is the third episode of our Black Abbey series. Um, Black Abbey is a Black artist and writer's residency that Nat Turner Project co-hosts with Sherita Town of a Black Art Ecology of Portland and Alberta Abbey. One of the artists in residency is someone who has been pretty instrumental in mobilizing the comics community in, right here in Portland. It's Nicole Robinson. Hi, Nikki. What's up? <laughs> um, uh, nothing much. Just, uh, I got a day job, and so I'm, uh, I'm working on my day job. It has been a little bit stressful, so I've been trying to consolidate my day job and like my art during the residency has been lacking a little bit, but I'm still trying to keep it pushing. All right. Cool. And um, this is uh, and this is Nikki's bio. Um, Nikki, also known as Zachy Comics, is a queer POC writer, illustrator, teacher, 
an activist in Portland, Oregon, and the co-founder of the inclusive weekly comic creator meetups, One Bats, and PDX Comic Crew. She loves to network, role play, and make comics and children's book children's books. Her work has appeared in Manthology, Queer and Swarthy, um, Secret Anthology, and Who's Your Type. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us today on a random Thursday in the middle of July. Um, so first up, uh, we want to check in with you. How are you doing? Things are weird. Um, a lot has happened. So. As for the um, as for the quarantine, um, I it was I don't know. I guess before the quarantine, I'm an ambivert, and I have been forcing myself to do extrovert stuff forever. And then when quarantine hit, I really just adapted to it. It, it was amazing. I loved having alone time and quiet time and myself time. And it's the first time that I allowed myself to have it. And um, yeah, I've, I've uh, beca- all too quickly adapted to hermit life. And I'm still enjoying hermit life. I, um, I have started branching out a little bit, seeing like a couple people went to go visit my girlfriend went to, um, I don't know, I, I go to my client's house. I do a couple little things, um, but mostly I am indoors, <laughs> and it ain't so bad. Um, as for politics, um, <laughs> everything's on fire. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering what, what black people did to be, like, so hated, you know? Um, I'm just like, we're out here asking for human rights and everybody is out there like covering up our, covering up our paint and like tearing down our signs. And I'm just like, we're just, we're just, we're just asking for, you know, just, just to live, just to not be murdered. And everybody's so viscerally upset about it. Um, it's, it's kind of confusing. It's, I am, I don't know why. Oregon government doesn't kick out the military who's just out here brutalizing protesters. I don't know why we don't pull the third amendment like the, uh, I think it was, it, it was some other state that pulled the third amendment and kicked the entire military out of their state. And it was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Did you hear about that? Um, I think I heard rumblings, but I didn't follow up cause I've been avoiding the news for the most part for the past few weeks. So Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Um, I'm guessing it wasn't in the south. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, it was it was a state, and um, the military went there and went into hotels to um, to have a place to so that they could go and uh, brutalize protesters. And then the mayor of the city invoked the Third Amendment, which is um, the military may not quarter in your home, and kicked the entire military out of the city. And it was amazing. And I'm just like, this is the first time that anybody's ever used the Third Amendment (laughs) for anything. Yeah. And and, uh, I'm just like, why do we have the military here? What about our Third Amendment rights? Why, why, is, why is the National Guard out here shooting people with rubber bullets? I hate it. It's stupid. I hate our mayor. I can't wait to vote him out. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, that's how I'm feeling about the government right now. As for the plague, 
um, <laughs> that's pretty rough too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wearing my mask. I'm doing what I can. I wear my mask at work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to stay healthy and safe as the, uh, as the plague gets worse and worse and the government does nothing to help anybody. Yeah. So, yeah. And are you, are you an essential worker? Is that why you're working? I am. Yeah. I'm an essential worker. I am. I work with, uh, disabled kids. Mm-hmm. So I've been going to work all throughout this plague and, um, it's been an interesting journey to be called an essential worker, but to be kind of treated like crap anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> by your workplace. They're like, go to work. Also, we're taking your benefits. And I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> oh, my God. They're like, you're not working 30 hours a week. And I'm like, I know, because I sacrifice clients for exposure reasons. And they're like, we don't care. So, wow. yeah, it's this whole thing and um i'm trying to pick up more hours and consolidate my work stuff and it's been a lot it's been a lot of work yeah i mean also yeah yeah i was just gonna say also i'm on the ethics diversity and inclusion committee at work oh and uh, yeah that's a that's pretty wholesome work i really enjoy doing it and i'm finding that um a lot of there's a really high turnover of people of color at my workplace you know go figure and so I'm I I get to host an hour-long mandatory session and um I'm gonna be doing that next week and I'm gonna see what I can do to um to flip some chairs and some tables and tell people to listen to uh black people and queer people and trans people so that the turnover isn't so high because we have empathy and we do really well with disabled clients and like people of color deserve to have a job like this and um yeah it's work is this whole crazy mess i love doing it though i hate that i love it yeah (laughs) um i have to ask um are you the only black person on that panel um um it's it's me a black woman she her and also a uh, another black girl. She's in California. Okay. As for black people, we we're national. There's a whole bunch of different um, cities. As for uh, black people in the Portland branch, I think it's just like me and one other guy. Um, okay. Like, other than that, the turnover for people of color has been so high, so so high. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna see what I can do about getting people to listen to me and getting people paid better and treated better so that I can have coworkers of color. So we'll, we'll see how, how many, we'll, we'll see just how loud and angry and, you know, what's, what's the word, just how completely extremist and out there I can be before I start raising too many eyebrows and get fired. It's fine. Let's make some waves. Yeah, that's the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has your art been affected by all of this? Oh, if if at all. Oh, I just haven't been making as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to drawing. So um, I draw really, really slowly. And um, between work and COVID and BLM, um, I just haven't been feeling terribly creative. Um, so I, I, I've had 
I've been kind of scripting because scripting is easier and I kind of needed to rewrite my story anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I've been interacting with, uh, with art lately. It's been very text-based. And it's hard to stay text-based when you are a, a visual medium or picture, picture-oriented picture visual medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is. And I hope to do some more drawing soon. It hasn't been really happening too much for me though i'm sad to say creative juices are not really flowing as much as i would like them to and i'm trying to be okay with that (laughs) you know as as somebody who calls myself a a comic artist or even a professional comic artist i'm just like yeah i just haven't been making comics it just hasn't been doing (laughs) just hasn't been doing the thing that i want to do yeah but i have a lot of ideas and hopefully i'll be able to you know, get those juices flowing eventually so that people can enjoy my work with me. Um, I've been working really hard to do like the mental gymnastics and tell myself um, I'm not a product of my outfit. Um, And I know that. So if I'm not making comics, I don't feel bad because I'm not producing anything. I more feel bad because um, my characters are so amazing and the less I draw, the less other people get to enjoy my work. (laughs) Yeah. So it, yeah, I, I, I know they love it. I just have to draw it, you know, right. That, that kind of feeling. Well, I mean, you're, you're still having ideas, so that's a really good sign. It's just, I'm assuming the stress of everything that's happening that is affecting your workflow, which is certainly understandable. Like, I wish I could just go to like a coffee cafe and sit at a table with a, like a an outlet and just doodle at a cafe that was the that was the bomb back in the day yes it was (laughs) it was so good that's actually how i learned how to do comics sitting with my friends in a coffee shop and like holding down a table for like eight hours so So nice i miss the good old days (laughs) (laughs) the scripting you mentioned is that um for future comics what? Oh, um, the project that I'm doing? Or this, you said you mentioned scripting. Is that going to, like, the scripting you're doing, is that, like, for uh, future comics? Yes, it's for Who's Your Type. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about Who's Your Type? I'd love to. <laughs> so, um, as people who know me know, I love font and typefaces. And I have been working in, you know, honestly, what's the word, a development hell, um, about this uh, comic project that I'm doing that personifies fonts and typefaces, especially classical ones, and turns them into people, and then they run around type town doing slice-of-life stuff. Um, there's many, many fonts and typefaces in this comic. There's lots of characters. And I also want to talk about social issues. Um, not so much social issues as, um, I want to talk about interpersonal relationships. I'm really excited about it. Um, um, and this is also kind of what I do for a living. So I'm excited to talk about, um, you know, love languages and, you know, relationships and a whole bunch of other stuff because, um, I don't know. It, it seems like when you're an adult, getting relationships is so hard, making them last, making them, you know, the kind of relationship that you want to keep 
I'm staving off the loneliness. Um, and I, I have some tips on how to do that as a community builder and a, uh, behavior therapist. So, um, I wanted to, I, I always tell people what I do at work and, um, how I'm helping these disabled kids navigate a world that will not like stop or wait or be understanding of, um, their disabilities. And, um, I, uh, I talk to people about the skills that I'm teaching these kids. And I learned that a lot of even just able-bodied neurotypical adults don't have these skills. So I wanted to talk about that too. I want to have fun with I want to have fun with font and typeface, and I want to talk about social skills. This is so exciting to me. I'm so <laughs> excited. And what is it about fonts that like you feel uh, are a good like outlet or a good representation of like those interpersonal relationships? I'm happy to tell you that too. Um, <laughs> There's no straightforward answer, but when I work with fonts, it just kind of feels like fonts and typefaces have a personality to me. Um, via the reasons what it has been used for in the past and how it makes you feel when you read it and um, a whole bunch of other things for fonts. and. The more that I sit down and read wiki pages about fonts and its history and what it's been used for and how it makes you feel when you read it, the more that they just kind of turn into people for me. Um, so like Courier is a font that works really hard and it was amazing back in the day when people wanted it, but then it just kind of got old and thrown under the bus and um, <laughs> people just kind of malign it now and people are like oh my god you're using courier that is so 15 years ago <laughs> and i'm just like courier is a black woman and she's jaded she's also <laughs> she's also a, a screenwrite and a hack because um courier has often been used as um screenwriting comics writing fonts and um coding fonts mm -hmm. and so she's good at all those things she um she's an activist she's she'll be like the first one there she's dependable she'll always be there for you but she's kind of old she's got old ideas and she's a little bit stiff and all of these <laughs> youngins come in here with these new ideas and she's just like you know back in my day which was not too long ago <laughs> things were like this and having a little bit of trouble adapting and i am afraid to get thrown under the bus about it again so I'm just like, yeah, Courier is an amazing black woman. And, like, I just have these feelings about for every single classic font. And I'm excited to show everybody my interpretation of what I'm going to be doing with each of these classic fonts. And I'm excited to have them go do Slice of Life stuff. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Um, I kind of... Uh, um, yeah, I have, a, I have a question, I guess, about that. So are fonts, um, do you see fonts, like, at specific people, or it's more like a specific type of person, like a character? And then um, what font would you be? And then I have one more, but I'll wait. <laughs> so um, could you reiterate the, or could you repeat the first question? Um, yeah, so I guess I was thinking, uh, when you're talking about, like, fonts as characters, I was thinking, like, um, you know, like individuals being a specific font, but
but then you're describing what kind of character courier would be. So I was wondering, like, yeah, are the fonts more specific characters or they're like, I mean, specific people or they're like a character or like a type of a person? Well, um, depending on what I see the font used for and what classification the font is, fonts have classes. Um, it just kind of manifests into a human for me. Um, I don't really look at real live in the world on planet Earth people and turn them into fonts, but fonts turn into people for me. So let's take Hobo, for example. I see Hobo used a lot for children's media, and I see Hobo a lot in Mercados. You see Hobo everywhere in Mercados. And um, I'm just like, Hobo is downright a luchador entertainer. Uh, and nobody can tell me otherwise um <laughs> very first black woman times new roman is at a um times new roman has been used for serious statistical articles but is also pretty versatile is also used for resumes and um is, is never really used for fun i mean and it's also <laughs> used for it's a very common default font if you're not using Arial. And I'm just like, so yeah, I, uh, but like also Times New Roman is not a very gendered font. So I'm just, I just think of Times New Roman as this, you know, amazing, powerful Dom or like the type, um, uh, what what's the word? You know, NB. And, a reporter, that's the word I was looking for, a reporter who, like, does articles and is the type of person to, like, have a very huge presence and is very quick to spout statistics and tell you that you're wrong and, um, but is also pretty, you know, personable and is very human and cares a lot about the state of the world and things like that. I'm just, like, I'm just going off. I am I am right in my zone, aren't I? <laughs> I'm having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so in my comic, Times New Roman is this um, dumb type NB who, you know, writes articles and tries to make the world a better place. But when they find out that they can't because of the villains in the comic, um, they they go rogue and are trying and like do a whistleblower thing. And they have to like rely on their friends, but they have trust issues. And it's just this whole thing. So excited. <laughs> okay, then, um, so is there, like, knockoff fonts? Because when I think of Courier, I also think, like, I know some um, typing software or whatever is, like, has American typewriter. How does, like, mm-hmm. American typewriter compare to, like, a Courier, like, a Courier new? Mm. There are a lot of knockoff fonts. There's um, fonts that are inspired by other fonts, and I try to take those into consideration. But I can only have so many characters. As it is, <laughs> I, um, I as it is, I have way too many characters, and yet I still ask people, "What's your favorite font?" You know, hoping to impress them by this amazing character design that I had made and then they spout off this font that is a classic font and a very popular font but I don't have that character in my comic and I'm like womp womp <laughs> um, like, uh, somebody really big in the Portland comics community was uh, Kelly Sudaconic. I was talking to her about mm. my comic she was really excited she's like oh my gosh you have to tell me about Futura and I and my face just fell <laughs> 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 because I didn't have Futura in my comic 
And I'm just like, you know, uh, future is this uh, geometric type. And, um, <laughs> you know, if, if they were to be in my comic, they'd probably be some sort of perfectionist in whatever future is used for. Um, and then I went home and found out that future has to be in my comic because it is so instrumental in, like, American type history so future is in there now but like it, it's this entire work in progress it just feels like there's no beginning and ends to font it's always been there mm -hmm. I mean you know, so to speak and so um I don't know if I answered your question <laughs> but uh when it comes to fonts um yeah oh yeah um knockoff fonts I, I try to stay with the classic fonts because if I go to um, if I go into the realm of display fonts, I have a couple. But if I go too far into that realm, um, I will just have characters forever, and I'll never finish the comic. <laughs> <laughs> there is a um, there's Comic Sans. We all know Comic Sans. Yes, we do. And <laughs> Yeah, we do. <laughs> there's comic fans in my comic, and then there's a there's a font that is it has the same feel, not necessarily the same look, but it has the same feel named Kirsten, and um, I want to say that Comic Sans and Kirsten are siblings, and they used to be um, TV stars on like an old '80s sitcom together. <laughs> and so that's how I just kind of did this one specific knockoff font um, Kirsten is like Comic Sans but a little bit more uh, mature <laughs> and um, I'm just like yeah it's it's like the younger sibling but of Comic Sans but it also but it's also more mature and they um, they, they have a discussion about it <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't have a specific follow-up. I have, like, I guess another question on the, um, question queue, but, um, okay. I feel like I just asked a few, so if Melanie wants to, um, <laughs> ask one. Okay. <laughs> yes, I have a question. So, yep. what is your art's origin story? Like, were comics your first love? Like, what was your gateway into the arts? Oh, okay. So, my gateway into the arts, I have always drawn... Um, I, I would like to say that my gateway into the arts was anime mm. or that that's like the terrible American way of saying it, but yeah, <laughs> anime, <laughs> <laughs> I was obsessed with anime and cartoons as a child. And, um, in high school I did a lot of role play and I still role play. Role play is the love of my life. And so, like, between anime and roleplay, I I would do comics for myself. I had never thought of it as a career or something I was going to get published for, but I would have all of these really vivid ideas for all of the OCs that I have, um, OCs being original characters. And I would, um, I would draw them and I would put them in little scenarios. And if nobody wanted to role play with them with me, they would get their like own comic series and I would illustrate that. And it was all really, um, self-indulgent and I wasn't gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It was very, um, 
white and Japanese because I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that there was a place in comics for people of color yet. Mm. Um, because that's not what I saw in the media growing up in the nineties and in the two thousands. But eventually I, um, I realized that there was a huge market for it. And there was a whole bunch of people like me who were black and loved animation and a whole bunch of kids out there who were getting hurt every day because they were not represented in the media and they didn't have role models and other people who weren't represented in the media thought less of people who weren't represented in the media. And um, I worked in a daycare and I saw this firsthand and um, I tried some, sometimes little black girls and boys would be like, what's, what's the word? Um, Excluded from play. They would be excluded from play because Nobody who looked like them was on Disney XD. Nobody who looked like them was on Cartoon Network at the time. Mm. Nobody who looked like them was popular in Marvel or DC. And they're just like, nobody who looks like you can be a hero. And I was just like, oh, not today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> and so ever since then, <laughs> I um, I have been very careful to put very many people of color um, in my comics. So... This is this is kind of the origin. That's that's like the origin section A. Mm-hmm. Origin origin section B. Um, I just kind of like doodled and kept to myself. I would every once in a while put people of color in my comics, but it was not um, something that I had focused on until I moved to California. And um, I had kind of stopped drawing. I was just kind of living my life. I still fancied myself an artist, but one day I walked into the comic bug which is a comic book shop in Manhattan. And I saw a whole bunch of comic creators sitting around on tables, um, just doodling together, sharing art tips. And I had gone in there with a pal who wanted to get some comics appraised. And I uh, excused myself from the appraisal. And I went over to talk to these comic artists. And I was like, what y'all doing? Comics? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. It was like seven of them. And um, I was like, I, I used to make comics. I I once upon a time fancied myself a comic creator and they're like come draw with us I was like really (laughs) so so I went ahead and joined them they said that they met like every day from six to nine on Wednesday or every week from six to nine on Wednesdays and I went I drove all the way from Long Beach to Manhattan Beach and I went and I joined them and it was like the most amazing experience to just be to, to have like a right a comic meetup and I uh, I asked the store owner if I could advertise it on meetup.com and after I started advertising it on meetup.com a whole bunch of other estranged artists in the area came to this meetup some traveled cities away like I did wow. to come to this meet and we got it from seven people to like 40 people and more and um the comic shop started doing really well and the uh, the comic meetup just just started booming and it was amazing. Um, and there was a, a branch off section of uh, women who wanted to do the Women's Los Angeles Comic Creator League. And I did that for a while and that was great. And then eventually we went to um, um, all trans and women because that's even cooler. And uh, <laughs> That was that was cool. And then eventually I had to move back here. After I moved to Portland, um, 
the Los Angeles Women's Comic Creator League rebranded to the Wombats, and they're doing their own thing down in California, but I still consider them a sister meetup. Now over here in Portland, I do, I run the, um, what's it called? The PDX Comic Crew over at Books with Pictures off of like 14th and Division. Mm-hmm. And uh, back before COVID, we would meet every week and it was <laughs> great. Um, I would love to meet up with them again, but I want everybody in the shop to feel safe and you know how it is. Yeah. We'll, we'll meet up again eventually. But um, yeah. That, that has been really great. I met a lot of people. Um, I have lots of friends down the West Coast. Um, I made friends with this uh, guy named Luis, and he m- came to my meetup, but then moved to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Arizona, yeah. And so now we have like a, a, a sister meetup over in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. So we have like the um, the Wombats and the, the Sketchy Bug group over in Manhattan Beach and I forget where the Wombats meet. They meet over at the Comics Cave in California. Oh. And um, we have us over here in Portland and then Luis is running something over in um, Arizona. And so like we have this like tiny conglomerate and it's super unofficial of course. It's just a place where we can like meet up but if I ever have a pal of mine who comes up to me like I love this meetup so much but I'm moving to California or I love this meetup so much but I'm moving to Arizona. I'm like no I got you. I got you. That's a sister branch. You don't have to leave the community. When I um and I did this because I had this amazing comic community in California and I moved here and there was a lot of comic community up here, but, um, it was all, you had to be a professional to access it. Yeah. And, um, it was all kind of gatekeepy. You couldn't be somebody who just kind of did self-indulgent comics and like get into a professional comic creating place and like hold your ground there. So, um, I made this meetup over at, the comic or uh, books with pictures and um it's it's been really inclusive i'm like hey you 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 just like drawing you just want to write <laughs> come over here you want to get published you don't want to get published do you want to do a web comic do you need resources you, you need are you learning how to draw come come hang out with us we got you yeah um you don't have to be a professional to be in this space um and running a space i've learned a lot and i've made a lot of mistakes but i um I'm hoping that it is uh, still a really good place for people to meet up and make comics together and feel good and make art and be in a creative atmosphere with other like-minded people. It's uh, really important to me that there's a place for people to do that. Yeah. Have you um, thought about alternative uh, meetups like via like? Skype or Zoom or like all of these other sort of um, uh, virtual uh, platforms in light of COVID? Or I absolutely have. Um, for a little bit after the Comic Creator Meetup in Portland stopped meeting the, the PDX Comic Crew, um, I would do a virtual meetup every Thursday when the regular group was supposed to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but being distanced from everybody and with the, sh- the, sh- the shop is open, but we're not meeting right now. And I, it was like up to me to do it. Mm-hmm. It was up to me to like do the link. And I was like really freaking out about work for a while. 
so I'm taking a little bit of a break from doing those meetings right now. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it makes me sad, but I'm just like, I just don't have like, I don't have the mental strength to go and do that every week and donate three hours of my time to being on, you know, the internet and seeing if people will come and join me. Um, it was a lot easier just going to a place and, um, having everything already set up and sitting down and making art for a couple hours. Um, but it, it is what it is. And maybe when work starts to mellow out right now, it's even, it's getting even more hectic for me. So, but like when work starts to mellow out, hopefully we can, um, get back to normal just go to books with pictures and maybe I can even find some people who missed the PDX comic crew virtual meetings and um, maybe we can run it laterally so I don't have to run it every week, but like I can do it like every four weeks and I find like a good couple of other people to run it the other weeks, which would be really cool. Um, a couple of people even suggested to do it. So we'll oh, see. Okay. Yeah. Other than that, um, what was I going to say? I had something really cool to say. Let me think. Oh, yes. Um, I uh, was really hoping to do a um, a person of color art meetup. Um, I started talking to, I think his name is Mark, over at the uh, the Black Abbey residence, the person who runs the venue, yeah. asking if, uh, if it was possible that we could get just like a person of color meetup going, which would be so cool, especially since... Um, yeah, the, the meetup that I run, when I, I'm there every week over at Books with Pictures, but it is also still so very white. Um, and people of color have um, asked me to make a person of color art meetup or comics meetup or art and, or comics and animation meetup or something like that. And I am absolutely looking into it. COVID throw a wrench in it, but I'm still very <laughs> interested in something like that. And, um, hey, if anybody's out there listening to this podcast, please hit me up if you're just like, no, that's absolutely something I can do. Let's work on it together. Yes, please. I would love to do a, uh, a meetup like that. It'd be so good. Um, I won't have to babysit any white men in comics, which has been this whole thing. But, um, yes, just a place of artistic black or black and indigenous, maybe even just people of color. That would be so good. I want to do that. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, well, I would like to say, as a Black comics artist, I would definitely love to be a part of that. So keep me posted on that because, you know, it's it's been hard to find a POC comics community here. Um, so... Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep posted. All That's right. Cool. cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I was... Um you know, into, like, comics and stuff, and then, um, as a little kid, and then got out of it for a little bit, and then got into comics again in my late teens, and then, like, got rid of, like, my comic collection and stuff like that, and then, um, only fairly recently got into comics again for the third time, and it this, but it was only because I was able to access them online and just, like, start reading PDFs only, so I haven't been, like, buying comics or going to comic stores, but I've just been getting, um, PDFs, like, online and stuff like that. So I was curious about um, what you think about PDF comics versus real comics. If you have a preference, if you're open to all comics, if you think comics should just be downloadable for free, if everybody should still support comic artists, 
or um yeah all those feelings um uh, they're as long as the comic artist makes themselves easily accessible it is so easy to support comic artists um comic artists are always looking for that like extra money they have their payment information um they've, they've got these patreons they have websites they have like Kofi's. It is so easy to support anybody out there that is making art. All you have to do is um, put in like the extra effort to, you know, do that. Um, at, at least that's with indie creators. I, I scratch that. That that's what I mean with indie creators. When it comes to professional creators that are published through a company, you do kind of have to buy those comics um, because they're professional and published. Um, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But usually professional and published comics have, like, side projects that you can consume. Um, when I'm talking comics, I'm usually talking about indie comics. I'm not talking about, like, the big two, DC and Marvel. I'm not talking about um, indie, you know, popular indie comics like um, uh, Boom or Dark Horse. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm more talking about, like, the person sitting at home at their desk making comics to put up on to Pastic or something like that. Um, that's, that's mostly what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, when it comes to indie creators, it can come in any form. And there's a lot of discussion about um, how to make comics accessible to, um, people like you and to people like me. I prefer comics on paper because I'm so busy when it comes to being on, on screen that, um, other screen mediums like uh, screen web comics or web comics on the phone or web comics on the tablet or on the computer, um, they have to compete for my attention. I'm sad to say, but when you throw a book in my hand, I'm like, Oh, let me uh, sit down and read this. It's easy. I am uh, much more apt to read your comic if it is on paper and in front of me, though that does not discredit all of the hard work that um, creators put into um into their comics on a digital medium, it's just a little harder for me to consume it. Um, it just because of my own personal preference. It, it, it would be easy if I dedicated 45 minutes, but um, you can go, there are, um, there's tons of comics for the phone. Um, people are formatting their comics to work on phone mm -hmm. for um, your, your scrolling pleasure. And um, they work really hard to make it so that they can get paid while you scroll. Phone comics are incredibly popular, if not the most popular comic medium right now, go because um, wow. it, it's very accessible. You can, you can like look at it like the five minutes before you go into the office or when you're on the bus ride home. You don't. It's it doesn't put any extra weight in your backpack. And usually, comics online are cheaper than printed comics. So. Um, a lot of people are putting their comics on phone. A lot of people are putting them on um, on a media. <laughs> a lot of people are putting them on um, on websites, like just so that you can read them there. And that way, if they are making them for book, you can just um, instead of scrolling, you can do that too. Either way, it's. Comic creators are doing their absolute best to make their comics as accessible as possible. Some people even make their comics blind accessible so that um, you don't have to be able to see in order to consume the comic. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really advocate for that too. Mm -hmm. um, 
but uh, yeah, you can you can find them anywhere. People are you know pouring their hearts out onto their tablets and on pencil and paper and doing traditional and digital and forever scrolling and pages and it's just it just depends on what you want to read and they're easy to find they just got to do is uh ask around go find it um i i do prefer printed books myself though that's just because i'm pretty scatterbrained <laughs> um yeah i i also am old school um and prefer like the printed like even the floppy, which I know is like out of style right now. Um, but there's something about like having it in your hands and looking at it. But like one thing that annoys me is like because a lot of comics are being created digitally, visually they're better in digital format sometimes than um, in like in hard copy format. And I find that frustrating because I want to buy them. I want them to be a part of my collection, but it's annoying that the colors pop more digitally. And there's a really, really successful, well-known comic that I'm not going to name that is guilty of that. But I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like the transition? Um, creators have to choose. They have to choose how they want their stuff to be consumed. A lot of creators are just like, yeah, I'm going to go RGB. This is going to be something that people are going to consume on the screen. Um, a lot of people are go, yeah, I'm going to do CMYK. This is something that people are going to consume on paper. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, or some, some, a few people are like, hey, I'm going to color my page in both. And um, I'm going to do it on screen and on paper. Um, a lot of creators are just gonna go I'm just gonna do it in black on white because I don't want to have to make these hard choices and it, I want my stuff to go faster and I want a faster output which is all it's all valid it's all valid um, whatever whatever your fans will read whatever makes you money um, it is it is hard to be a creator and to have to make those choices but it is what it is um, I, uh, I think that doing comics made to be consumed on the screen are um offer a lot more flexibility but you, there's no beating paper and a lot of people know that so it is um it's what it is and it's uh, it's rough it's rough yeah. <laughs> um earlier you mentioned um role play and i was kind of curious about yeah. um hearing more about that but then also um it made me think about like fan fiction um, if that's something you're uh -huh. into or your um, ideas around that. Oh, absolutely. So um, I've role played my entire life. Um, this is text based role play. Um, shout out to my role play partner in Colorado. They've been role playing with me for like eight years mm -hmm. and we've had like 30 stories together and we are still role playing to this day. And they're one of my best friends ever. Um, yeah. Shout out to you, Brie. But um, <laughs> when it comes to role play, um, I love it because you can make a story anywhere and there are no rules um, apart from what your role play partner is or isn't willing to do. So um, ro like tabletop role play, say for instance, D&D. D&D is really cool, but a lot of people feel restricted. There's a lot of wiggle room within D&D, &D, but 
um, you have to be within D&D. There is, of course, um, you know, fan classes and stuff, but um, it's it's still really restrictive. You basically have to stay in fantasy. Maybe if you do some extra aggressive wiggling, you can be in, like, science fantasy. But um, my I love to be in slice of life. That's my realm. And in uh, D&D... Um, there's a lot of fighting, not into that. <laughs> I, I would, I would prefer that D and D be like a two hour long social simulator. That is what would really get me going. <laughs> but, um, we all can't have what we want unless you role play. So, um, when it comes to role play, I, um, I, I tell my role play partner what I want and they tell me what they want and we just kind of write and role playing is really great because you, you uh, you write you you come up with a setting together and then it's basically completely reactionary. So you you write a stimulus, they react and they write a stimulus, and you react and you write a stimulus. So you never really can tell where the story is going or how they're going to react and who's going to come in. Um, and so every single post is this like lovely surprise, and. I love it. It is the best. Um, when you're writing a story alone, you know the beginning, you know the middle, you know the end, and you got to follow all of these rules to make it, you know, consumable. Unless you're, you know, writing it for self-indulgence, which also is valid. But if, um, but you know, got to write for target audience, blah blah blah. But when you are role-playing with just, like, a person for self-indulgence, you don't have to worry about any of that. You don't know what, what where your story is going to be five posts from now. You don't know what character you're going to meet five posts from now, unless you, you know, talk to your role-play partner and come up with something and guide the role-play in that direction. But um, role-play is something that is very important to me and my soul. And it's also a really fantastic way to take your original characters and throw them in a setting and get to know them. Um, get to know their, what I like to call a personality algorithm. So, like, I come up with a character. They're beautiful. I drew them. But I don't know anything about them. I don't know how they're going to react if their crush pours them a, a good cup of joe that they, you know, grinded the coffee beans for. I don't know what's going to happen if they interact with a cat or if somebody asks them on a date um that's these small personality things are things that you can figure out in role play until you get to know a character really well um if i have a character that i need to know really well i'll ask my role play partner brayden if i can um throw them in a role play and figure them out a little bit and you know pluck, pluck them out of that and put them back in my comic and um, now I know them really well. Now they're really easy to write. Now it writes itself. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, role play is really important to me. It's it's so fun. It's so fun. I uh, Especially if you have a really good role play partner that you really vibe with and um, they are good at writing. That's also important. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of get a role play partner. You can crawl around on role play forums forever and be like, does anybody want to role play with characters of color? And then the role play community just screams, no. Back at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, every once in a while, you'll find a goodie and you've got to hold on to them. 
And so that's my experience with roleplay, just text-based. Every once in a while, I'll draw our characters, I'll show my roleplay partner, and they'll be like, oh my god, I love them. And I'm like, yes, I'm putting it on a mug, and I'm going to send it to you. And they're like, you don't have to do that. And I'm just, I'm doing it anyway, because I love you and I love our characters together. I love our worlds that we built, we co-created together. I love all of the world building and everything. I am on a tangent, but yes, that's how I feel about roleplay. Um, what's your other question? <laughs> um, yeah, I was curious about uh, fanfic. What you thought about fanfic? Right. Paid in it. Right. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. For the longest time, I absolutely did not participate in fanfiction, and here is why. Um, there, there's as a content creator, every once in a while, you'll be that content creator, and I was one of them. Not everybody's like this, but I was one of these creators where. Um, participating in IP that is not yours comes with a little bit of guilt. Um, mm. You can sit down and write a story about your favorite video game characters, but those are not your characters, and you feel guilty for not interacting with your characters. Um, you, uh, you feel guilty for taking time out of your day to go read this self-indulgent not-your-character stuff. Uh, and you, you would prefer that people do that for you, um, and I was talking to my pal about this just actually yesterday. I was, I only just, I've always known that fan fiction has been around, but I had never interacted with it until very recently, like this week. And it was the best. <laughs> it was amazing. And I got this rush that I had never allowed myself to have. And I told Annika about it, my friend, who's also a comic creator. And she's just like, I was the same way. I was like a noble gas. I was always my my creations my ap all the time um i would consume media but then i would you know do my own thing with it but and but it was like in the form of me creating the media i would take the characters from this video game and i would make a comic about it um and so i would always be the content creator but never the consumer because i was a noble gas and what a shame Go go and write that, you know, sh go and read that short story that this teenager wrote three years ago about the very characters that you love and from this media that you both love and just indulge in it, um, even if it's not official, official uh, story from the creators of this IP. Um, if you don't know what IP is, it's intellectual property for the, uh, yeah, for, for the listeners. Um, go, yeah, it's, um, it's something that I'm doing now. I'm now reading Dojinshi of my favorite video games and it's bringing me so much joy in this, uh, in this pandemic. And I wish I would have done it before. The Dojinshi that I'm still reeling from was like made in 2012. I could have enjoyed it in 2012, <laughs> but I didn't let myself because I, I too was a noble gas and only wanted to interact with my characters and official IP from the official creators of the official thing that I liked. And then that's not how you enjoy things. So, um, yes, I am now slowly trying to ease myself into um, reading fan fiction because it is what is better. Sometimes the original creators of the contents that you like do a good job creating the world and doing the world building and making the characters. But if you are a fan of Slice of Life like I am, sometimes you just want to see them not do plot relevant stuff, but just frivolous, lovely things, and I am let, trying to let myself enjoy that now. Um, 
So that that's where I am at fan fiction. I just discovered it this week. Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you understand. Tell me I'm valid. <laughs> of course, yes. Yay. <laughs> um so you mentioned that um, you haven't really had a chance to get into the studio to work on stuff during the residency, but the, the few times that you have been in, what have you been working on? Um, I have been working on rewriting my entire dang comic, um, which is a little bit disappointing because I have been in development hell for many years, and right when I feel like I finally got it all written out, um, there's something missing, and I realized that it was villains. So <laughs> the villains in my the villains in my comic, I've always called them the black letters, which is kind of like it's this old, hard to read font that you'll see on beer and on old German, I don't know, restaurants and junk. And I wanted the black letters to be the villains, and I kind of wanted them to be white supremacists, and I kind of wanted the um, the threat of white supremacy to be enough of a villain for the comic. But then as I was nearing the end of the comic, I wanted these interactions with my characters. And I, uh, I realized that I needed a more tangible threat. The threat of white supremacy needed a fate. And that means I had to write in villains and that means that I needed to come up with villains I needed to research black letters I needed to research the history of black letter font and oh boy it is exciting <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm so excited about font um, and but also I needed to go and figure out how each of my characters were affected by black letter supremacy what each of them did about it and the resolution for each of my characters and oh boy do I have a lot of characters so this is uh, what what I was doing. So I was going in, sitting down, uh, reading about black letter font and um, figuring out how I could relate that to white supremacy and um, writing down each of my main characters and figuring out how they were affected by black letter supremacy and how they were going to, how it, how it was going to impact them, how they're going to triumph over it and figure out their entire thing. And so I had to rewrite everything, mm. um, and including coming up with new character designs and doing a lot of research. So it was a lot of work. It was a lot of busy work and it was really hard for me to do because I didn't originally want to do it. And it's hard to like take your baby and shake your head at it and say, nah, you gotta be better than this. <laughs> and your baby, I've been in development hell for five years and I'm like, I know baby, I know, but we've got to. <laughs> so um, that, this is mostly what I've been doing during the residency. I've also been doing a little bit of sketching, which is nice, um, but mostly just rewriting things, rewriting my whole entire story. So now I have villains. Now I know how each of my main good characters are affected and how they're going to interact with black letters and black letter supremacy. Mm -hmm. I um, rewrote how um, the climax is going to go. Um, I'm working. I, I think I've got the resolution. Um, but also, I'm just kind of, I, it's hard. Writing is hard. Um, writing, like writing in, what's the word? Foreshadowing. 
So, like, you have to know the ending in order to do the foreshadowing towards the beginning. You, you've got to do the foreshadowing for the beginning. You have to know the ending to do the foreshadowing toward the beginning and to do the rising action and to do the climax. So, like, you kind of have to write it frontwards and backwards. And um, I was just kind of trying to figuring it out. I was writing on my little index cards, you know, switching them around on the desk and put posting them to my wall and taking them off my wall and putting them back on the desk and looking through my notebooks to see if there were any plot points that I was missing and that's what I was doing. It, it, it's uh, not terribly impressive, <laughs> but that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, what makes a compelling villain in a story? Um, uh, people who teach comics tell you that a villain is most compelling when they are relatable. Mm -hmm. They are fighting for something that somebody else would fight for um, and they believe that they are right. And I pretty much agree with that. But when it comes to white supremacy, it's hard for me to relate to that because I, when I think of white supremacy, I think of like a whole bunch of white guys in like terrible clothes in a circle talking about how much they hate like Jews and black people and I don't does, is there a reason for white supremacy other than just being mediocre and hating other people because you feel like they're going to take your power from you there's no good reason for white supremacy there's no good reason for us to be brutalized for, by cops so I'm just like white supremacy is super unrelatable <laughs> um and my uh my characters are supposed to kind of be off-brand nazis so um i was writing them doing my best uh, i i don't understand hatred of other people just because of what they look like i don't i don't get it but i'm writing it and i'm doing my best <laughs> So I've got this like tiny little secret society and they secretly hate all of the, the queer and people of color, but like they're not gonna go for them specifically, they're gonna go for their culture, they're gonna go for laws surrounding the town that affect everybody, they're going to be that more intangible overhand, they're going to make medicine expensive, like things that honestly really hurt everybody except for the people at the top. and. Um, it, that is my villain, and this is the villain that we all know, and the villain that we all hate, <laughs> and, um, it's gonna be really exciting to take them down. Um, I, I hope that this works for a compelling, what's the word, a compelling read. Um, the, the story is, of course, going to be focused on the people of color and the, the queer and the trans people and the disabled people down here, like the, the cool fonts. Um, <laughs> but like, also, I've got these villains and I don't understand the way they think, but I understand the way that they work, I guess. So that's, um, that's where I am with the villains. And I don't know if it's going to be compelling but I'll do my best. I'm gonna get me some sensitivity readers, not a Nazi sensitivity reader, but um, yeah, you know what I mean, let's see what I can do. Um, and for those who, who don't know, can you briefly um, describe what a sensitivity reader is? Absolutely. 
I want every sensitivity reader. I want 400 sensitivity. So sensitivity readers are, if you are writing somebody that's not like you, but you want to make sure that this, per, but that the thing that you're writing is good and accurate and accurately represents the uh, the person who you're writing that is not like you, you can go find somebody who is like the person that you're writing and ask them to proofread what you're writing and then pay them for their time and their input. So um, I am a queer black cis woman and I want to write trans people. I want to write disabled people. I'm not disabled. Um, I want to write indigenous people. I want to write romantic and poly people and I'm asexually romantic. So um, I am going to need a lot of proofreaders and I will pay them for their time and I'm going to ask them, hey, so this is an experience that I want to do justice for. What do you suggest that I do better? What would you like to see if I'm going to portray somebody that is like this? Um, I asked, a, uh, I, in my comic, I have somebody who is a rapper and performer and also is a wheelchair user. And so I asked somebody in Portland who is a wheelchair user and also a performer, what would you like to see when I um, write the experience? What would you want me to keep in mind? What does your house look like? Um, how does somebody who uses a wheelchair get around? What, what would you like to see? And um, they told me, um, as a wheelchair user, I would like to see somebody in a wheelchair get up and walk around a little bit. Not every wheelchair person is forever sitting. I personally am. But I would like to see some representation of somebody who uses a wheelchair because walking is hard because they have mm -hmm. a disability or invisible illness, but they do have the ability to walk. I want them to have pills around their house. I want them to have bars around their house that they can rip onto and help them with mobility. Um, and... Uh, I want them to have this and that. This is what I want to see. And I'm like, excellent. Thank you. I wanted to write an indigenous person. I'm not indigenous. And I went to go, I went to a powwow <laughs> looking for somebody to proofread my stuff. And it was really hard. But eventually I found a person who was just like, oh, I'll proofread it. I'll do it for free. And I'm just like, please let me pay you. This is emotional labor and I don't want it for free. And they're just like, Psh, I've got nothing better to do. I'll just do it for free because... I have never seen anybody like me in a comic, and that, I think, will be payment enough. And I'm just like, yo, if you insist, but if you do want me to pay you, just say so, and I will. Um, and she's just she's this sweet old lady. She's so sweet to me. She just became a second mom to me. And um, I asked her all of my what felt like stupid questions. I'm like, what's that traditional wear they're wearing? And she's just like, oh, no, don't call it traditional wear. It's regalia. And I was like, okay, cool. And I'm like taking my notes. And so now when I write my comic... I won't be that dumb person over there writing. And then she put on her traditional wear. <laughs> I will be writing. That is the regalia. Don't touch it. If And I know some of the rules around it now because I went and asked somebody who is an authority in it. So that is, um, that is a sensitivity reader. You go out, find them, pay them. Your comic and your work gets better. So hmm. yay representation. <laughs> Important. Are you uh, experiencing any any byproduct byproducts, good or bad, of white guilt? <laughs> white guilt, byproducts of white guilt. Um, white guilt. No, I don't think so. Um, 
I do, uh, this might be a little controversial, but I do kind of feel that I have light privilege oh. and I, uh, I make it my, I'm, I'm a very light skinned black person. And I don't say this to be like light skin versus dark skin. No, absolutely not. But I do know that I have this privilege. I know it's easier for me to get a job. I know that my hair is less coily and that is perceived better, um, in some areas. And I, I, uh, need to make sure that I look out for my darker siblings of the culture and, um, make sure that they're taken care of and fight for them and advocate for them if I need to. I mean, we're all black and we're all in this together, but, um, some people, even if they're people like you do need more protections than you just because of society. So, um, I do recognize my light privilege and I do what I can to make sure that my slightly darker people who are my siblings are taken care of. I'm like trying to give people that are darker than me mace. I'm trying to give people who are trans and black, um, mace and like just doing my best. I check in on them and make sure that they're good, maybe cook them some food if they need it, give them mental health or like not give them mental health, but like, um, yeah, just check in on them, make sure they're okay. Um, and I think that's how I kind of interact in this realm. Um, knowing that I am afforded some privileges that other black people aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not controversial at all here. (laughs) It's been discussed many a time on throughout various episodes. Um, yeah. I, I know that online there's like a very big light versus dark kind of thing and I've never really gotten it, but, um, okay, no, I do get it, but it, that's not where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't want to like, I don't want to say I pity anybody. It's just like, I recognize that I have this privilege and I'm going to do my best to, you know, spread all of my privilege around and make sure everybody's good. But I do know that when we're talking about colorism it's, it can be a very sore subject for a lot of people, and um, it, it might even be triggering for some people. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, I'm, I am black, and I, I, uh, I have a lot of clout in the Portland art community, and it is not lost on me that I am a light-skinned black person with a lot of clout in the comic community. And in Portland and I am uh, doing my best to make sure that everybody is uh, properly represented and I'm doing my best to, you know, help the fight against colorism because colorism is stupid. So. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess like our final question would have to be, what are you reading right now in terms of comics? (laughs) Remember when I said <laughs> that I was consuming fan fiction? Yes. <laughs> um, I am reading a lot of Persona 4 Golden fan fiction and Dojinchi right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a video game in this Persona series made by a company called Atlas. And um, it is so nice, and I love it. I am also reading a couple um, comic strip comics on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm reading my friend's web comics. My friend Jess does this amazing sports comic. I want to say sports anime, but it's not anime. It's Western. This is a sports comic called A Midnight Furies. My pal Mars is making a comic right now called um, Long Exposure, but they are doing a uh, a new cartoon called Ride or Die, and I'm really excited for that. Mm. My girlfriend Clara is about to do a uh, a queer trans person of color anthology, oh, wow. and um, I'm really excited for Manana by uh, Joamet Gill who I think their Kickstarter goes live tomorrow. And I'm excited to read about Indigenous and Two-Spirit um, experiences in Manana. Okay. So that's um, that's what I'm excited about, and fan fiction and role play. That's, that's where I live right now. Nice. Um, if you could uh, maybe send us the links to some of those, we can include those in the show notes so that people can like click on them. Absolutely. Cool. Um, well, I mean, thanks for stopping by and a chat with us virtually, of course. Um, <laughs> and we really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us about your practice and about comics. Um, yeah. And, uh, before we go, um, Max, what are your parting words? Yeah, um, yeah, thank you. It's been really cool talking to you. Um, I feel like I could ask so many more questions about um, <laughs> comics and fanfic, but um, I'll stop. I'll stop there. <laughs> like, if, if you would like to, I am very interactive on Instagram. Anybody can message me. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll if in, you're interested. We'll put your IG um, handle in the show notes as well so that people can reach out with questions or comments. Um, yeah. I'm uh, to be approachable. Anybody hit me up on Instagram. I love all of you. Yeah, Nikki's <laughs> Nikki is awesome. Um, I say this as someone who has um, interacted with Nikki on multiple occasions. We also share studio space as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my parting words are uh, read more comics. If you're not, you're just missing out. Sorry. Um, and I feel bad yes. for you. So. I, I've got parting words about that. Okay. Um, yes. So many queer, trans, indigenous, and like other people of color are making comics. Um, they've got body positivity. They've got relationship. Um, I don't. I want to say relationship dynamics. They've 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 got good representation for monogamous, healthy monogamous, um, queer and straight relationships. Um, they've got healthy representation for poly relationships. Just have you ever read a comic where like two brown masks love each other it's out there just go find it um comics are not always marvel and dc um indie comic creators are out there creating the content that represents you every day and um and that is a very broad statement <laughs> but also there are so many comics out there and they're indies just go find them just type into instagram hashtag this comic and like hopefully something that you can find yourself represented and will pop up. 
Um, people are just pouring their hearts out, hoping to get those likes and those follows and to get conversations and comments. Please go read indie comics. It is so much better than DC and Marvel, and I say that and I will double down and triple down on it. <laughs> just please go do it. Every genre, people of color, out there. It's out there. All right, you heard her. Um, go do the research. Go find those comics. It's important. Um, and all the things that you're missing um, by consuming uh mainstream um avenues it's all of it's out there the representation the the different stories the inclusion it's all it already exists it has existed for decades for centuries it's just up to you to go and find it so yeah and all right and on that note um we are gonna get out of here um thanks for listening to our little show bye y'all bye y'all Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, bye. Thank you.